Coming up on this week's episode, we'll be talking about the BBC documentary, The Princes and the Press, Prince Charles in Barbados and Princess Anne on the Royal Social. So stay tuned. A grand fanfare welcome to our podcast, Keeping Up with the Windsors, dedicated to the royal family. Each episode will be crammed to the rafters with opinions, news and commentary on the comings and goings of the family of Windsor. With your hosts and royal fangirls, Rachel Andrews and Michelle Thole. So grab yourself a cuppa, straighten up your tiara, shine your knighthood, round up your corgis, and and let's keep up with with the Windsors. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Keeping Up the Windsors. I'm Rachel. And I'm Michelle. Hello everyone. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I thought I would just extend our Thanksgiving best wishes to everyone who's celebrating. We kind of missed that last week, didn't we, Rach? Yeah, it slipped our minds, but um, yeah, happy Thanksgiving. I guess what happened um, Thanksgiving weekend, you know, uh, you're a Strictly Come Dancing girl and I'm a Dancing with the Stars girl. (laughs) Well, the person who I really, 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 really wanted to win Dancing with the Stars, Iman, he won and I was so, so excited. So uh, yeah, I know, honestly, the first uh, basketball player to ever win Dancing with the Stars and it was absolutely amazing. I was so rooting for him. So I'm glad he won and uh, yeah, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Amazing. Um, so we've actually got a few royal community responses to read out, haven't we, this week? Yes, we have. So mine is from Hill Hogan, and she said, My mum and I have started listening to your podcast together on the weekend. I go over to her house to drink coffee and listen. We enjoy it so much. I love it. So big hello to Hill and her mum. I don't know what her mum's name is, but hello. (laughs) I love it. Bring your families together. Thank you so much for being part of the Royal Community. And thank you so much for listening. And I've got a lovely comment from Mamaga on Instagram. And and, uh, they say, hey, girls, I just want to say that I love your podcast. I live in California. I love California. And I've always been a royalist since I was a child. Don't know why. (laughs) Laugh out loud. But no one shares my opinion or interest over here. So it was nice to find your podcast and finally hear people talk about the things I've always thought and never could speak. It's like I found my own book club. Yay! (laughs) We love a book club. (laughs) Yeah. Camilla loves a book club. Uh, Just wanted to say thank you for making this and keep it up. Well, thank you so much for your lovely comments on our podcast. It is a labor of love for Rachel and I, but we love every single second of it. So yeah, it, it, it means the world to us that you're enjoying it out there. Thank you so much for being part of the Royal Community. If you want to get in touch with us, you can by emailing us, keeping up with the Windsors pod at gmail.com or heading over to Instagram at keeping up with the Windsors pod. And yeah, DM us, send us an email, however you want to. And this week, Michelle, we also launched our YouTube channel, didn't we? <laughs> It's launched finally. I got my act together, <laughs> started <laughs> editing some videos. But yes, and it's had a quite a um varied response. Yes, like a mixed <laughs> response, which to be honest, we knew it was going to. And we never start easy, do we? Because we we started the podcast on Oprah Part One and we started the YouTube on Spencer the Films. <laughs> Oh, yeah, got 23 subscribers at the moment, Rachel. I'm pretty <laughs> chuffed with that. I know. <laughs> Come on over, subscribe to our YouTube channel because this week we'll be having the Windsor vlog up on Sunday, which is going to be super, super exciting. And we've got some really cool things planned, haven't we, Rachel, for December? Yeah. So watch this space Woo-hoo. because there might be some um, Christmas, you know, outings taking place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, thank you so much for supporting us in any way, the podcast, the YouTube channel and Instagram. So now let's take it to the Royal Roundup. We started the week with the Duchess of Cornwall at the Rifles Regiment Awards Dinner. Camilla took over the role of Colonel-in-Chief from the Duke of Edinburgh in July 2020. In her speech, she said, I know it was a role that he cherished and of which he was immensely proud, and it is one of the greatest honours of my life to have followed him into this illustrious role. Now, the regiment started in 2007, and the dinner was to celebrate their achievements. Camilla was joined by the Countess of Wessex, the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, the Duke of Kent, and Princess Alexandria. Wow. Again, we're seeing a lot more of the Kents, the Gloucesters, 
Princess Alexandra. And we've actually had a post today, haven't we, over Royal Family Socials um, involving the Gloucesters. Yeah. They've actually made it to the main grid. Whee! Well done. <laughs> They've been promoted. <laughs> <laughs> November 25th marked the International Day of the Elimination of Violence Against Women. And Camilla is taken to the socials to promote the 16 days of activism. Camilla has asked eight women eight questions and the videos will be posted on the socials over the coming 16 days. One of the questions she asked was, what is one thing we can do this week to help create a world free of violence from women? What should we do if we think a friend is in an abusive relationship? And what is the first bit of advice you can give to a woman fleeing an abusive partner? So if you go over onto their stories, these questions are being answered from people that work with different charities, which help to eliminate violence and shine a spotlight on helping women in these situations. And I think it's a really important topic to be discussed. And so I really applaud Camilla and the Clouds House Socials for talking and promoting this. What's really lovely about this is we have seen actually a real rising of Clarence House socials. This is a really great way to engage people, not only in understanding about violence for women and what we can do, but also puts us into a more thinking and action-based process. So instead of us just saying, oh, that's nice that Camilla's doing that, Mm. actually, what can we do? And those questions are very thought-provoking. You can feel quite alone if you find someone who needs help and you don't know how to help them. And these questions and the way in which the spokesperson from the charity who's answering these questions are also enabling you to know what to do. After that, also how to get help for them moving forward. So it's not just a, oh, well, what do you think of this question? You know, keep your comments below it's a lot more that went behind it yeah it's a lot like you said it's a lot more thought-provoking isn't it because luckily I don't know anyone myself that's been in a situation like that but there are hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people across the world and if this can help just at least you know one person they may have changed a life so yeah I couldn't agree more you can only applaud them for that work and we saw gosh back a couple of months back Camilla did an engagement where she was raising awareness for women who were fleeing violence, especially during the pandemic. They were having free rail travel. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So the, again, you know, it's, it's it's a wonderful initiative and I just wish them all the best with it. So the Princess Royal attended the Team GB Ball to celebrate the success of Great Britain's Olympians. And Anne is the president of the British Olympic Association and a member of the International Olympic Committee. And did you know that Anne is involved in over 300 charities? I can. Well, yeah. (laughs) You know what she's like. I know. Well, it's no surprise that Anne hosted the Charities Forum, bringing together numerous charities to discuss the challenges of the pandemic and the lessons that they learn. And this was held at St. James's Palace. And Michelle, she made it to the main socials. Yay, she did. Well done. Well done. I think as well, because obviously we're not seeing much of the Queen anymore. They are trying to give the spotlight to more of the royal family members that don't have a social media platform. And so that's why we're hearing lots more from Anne and the Gloucesters and the Kents, because they get, like we said previously, they do the work, but it's just not reported on. Do you know what I thought when I saw that engagement? How, how much experience you would gain even from three months doing events at Buckingham Palace or for any of the royals? Because every single day is an event, isn't it? Every day. Every day. And it has to be at such a high standard. That would be amazing on your CV. (laughs) This week, we saw William supporting the mental health of emergency services. Firstly, with a video of Will and Chloe talking about their experiences during the pandemic and how they coped with their mental health. Now, this video was played at the symposium, which William was hosting as part of the Royal Foundation. The reason for the symposium was to promote the mental health of work commitment, which actually lots of senior leaders representing national bodies signed, which is such a massive thing, isn't it, Rach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we actually saw um, the video, they was in Will and Chloe's house, weren't they? Yeah. They were sat down on their kitchen table having a cup of tea and 
they were explaining how the pandemic has affected them because it must be quite hard when you're in that situation switching off from work yeah oh yeah you know because as we know at the height of the pandemic so much was happening and hospitals were full up and it was just in a crazy time and to them for them as paramedics but as a couple to be able to come home and it, to recharge it must be quite a challenging time and what I loved about the video it is not only hearing from Will and Chloe talking about how their experiences, you know, has affected their mental health, but also hearing about William, you know, he, he was part of the RAF search and rescue and the East Anglia Air Ambulance mm. and how that has impacted his life and how he even said when he was a child that he had to go and save or, you know, help. It affected him way more than it did anything else because he had kids. <laughs> Rach, did you like it when he knocked the door and he was like, hi, Will? And Will was like, yeah. hi, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we actually saw a clip of them, him the other week, didn't we, filming this, where he was just on some yeah. like random street. And can you imagine being a neighbour, being like, hang on a minute, is that that's Prince William standing outside that house. What's going on? Well, that's the funny thing. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm always mentioning Will outside KFC, but when he was outside KFC, you'd <laughs> never imagine the future king to be outside KFC. And then, you know, just this normal suburban street. And all of a sudden, there's the future king. <laughs> and also, Rach, if he came to my house, I'd make it spotless. I'm just thinking, get out the good china. Get out the good china. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was honestly such an amazing video to watch because yes, we do need to look after our first responders. Yes, we do need to make sure that they're able to come to work day after day. But what they go through, their mental health is probably paramount to their longevity in that career. And so I'm so happy that William is back in this because it's so, so needed. This week, we also saw Prince Charles touch down in Barbados to attend the celebration events as it transitions to a republic. And this basically means that the Queen is removed as head of state and the country forms a republic. And Dame Sandra Mason, the Governor General of Barbados since 2018, has become the president-elect who has officially replaced the Queen. So Barbados will still be part of the Commonwealth and as a future leader of the Commonwealth, Charles was invited by the government of Barbados. And the Commonwealth consists of 54 countries that have shared goals in democracy and development. And during the presidential inauguration ceremony, Charles made a speech in which he said, the creation of this republic offers a new beginning, but it also marks a point on a continuum, a milestone on the long road you have not only travelled, but which you have built. For the darkest days of our past and the appalling atrocity of slavery, which forever stains our history, the people of this island forged their path with extraordinary fortitude, emancipation, self-government and independence were your waypoints. Freedom, justice and self-determination have been your guides. Your long journey has brought you to this moment, not as your destination, but as a vantage point from which to survey a new horizon. I was actually really happy that he brought up slavery in his speech. Yeah, I thought so too. Because as a future monarch, you would have thought he would have tried to skirt that issue because obviously British rule has been in place for over 400 years in Barbados. And um, I'm glad that he actually made a point of bringing slavery up. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And why sweep it under the rug it was a massive deal mm. and it should never ever be forgotten we should learn from it and i think it, it's actually um how do i want to put it like a milestone to actually admit yeah. it and i think what's nice about it is that barbados you know it's, it's still going to be within the commonwealth absolutely so there's still that repertoire between charles and dame sandra mason because as future head of the commonwealth you know he's going to be working with her isn't he absolutely barbados is actually my favorite place i've ever visited it is absolutely beautiful but not just that the people are extraordinary they are so welcoming and lovely. And honestly, I wish them all the best. Um, and, and, you know, it's their prerogative whether they decide to have the Queen as head of state or not. And they've decided not to. So 
it's great they're part of the Commonwealth because, you know, it's still nice that they're part of those 54 countries. Yeah. And also, I always think, what difference does it make if the Queen is the head of state in the country? Because she, it's not like she's there all the time. Mm-hmm. She hasn't visited Barbados in years. Yeah. So it, it makes sense for her not to be the head of state. So Charles and Camilla, they visited Barbados in 2019. Yeah, she's not. She's not. She doesn't visit there all the time, does she? It's not like when she's in England or Scotland. I think Scotland's the place she visits the most of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> she loves Scotland, doesn't she? Yeah. Whilst Charles was there, though, he received the Order of Freedom of Barbados, which is Barbados's highest ranking honour. And also, I love the fact that Riri was there, Rihanna, <laughs> <laughs> and she received the National Hero Honour. I love it. She wasn't called Rihanna, was she? They said that said Robin Rihanna Fenty. <laughs> yeah, they called her, her actual name. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, and I forgot to say, Rach, the Queen sent a message as well to the the newly elected president, Dame Sandra Mason, and to the people of Barbados as well. And she said, on this significant occasion and your assumption of office as the first president of Barbados, I extend my congratulations to you and all Barbadians. I first visited your beautiful country on the eve of independence in early 1966, and I'm very pleased that my son is with you today. Now, on the socials, did you see the video of the Queen opening a highway <laughs> to Barbados's <laughs> first national park? And I think I think it was 1966. You've ever seen any carry-on films? It just reminded me of a carry-on film. I don't know why, <laughs> but it was so like 1960s. And yeah, it was it's just so lovely to see. So there are other things that have happened this week with royals, including William. We know he went on engagement yesterday in Leeds um, where he was, feeding a goat did you see that he was Eastra- oh my goodness I was so jealous I was like oh go to one of my favorite animals in the whole world straight to go then then play some ping pong a ping pong I mean come on yeah I would have loved to get a match of ping pong against William <laughs> do you reckon he lets people win or do you think he really tries to win no I think it's a bit of both isn't it he's got to look like he's trying hasn't he <laughs> yeah. yes it gives the person a bit more victory when he lets them win and also that's a forever story then oh i i played yeah. ping pong with a future king and i won well yeah that's your story for life isn't it you tell your grandkids that story yeah, anytime he comes yeah. up on the tv it's like whenever my dad talks about the windsor castle fire and he always mentions it he's like i was there i was in that i was there when that caught on fire i'm like yeah no dad i've heard it about twenty thousand times <laughs> i was working there at the time you make a cup of tea yeah, I know. <laughs> so yeah, so we know there is a lot more that's happened this week. But Michelle, we watched it. the documentary, The Princes and the Press. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that right now in the Royal News. So last week and this week, there was a two-part documentary that aired on the BBC called The Princes and the Press. And if you haven't seen it, if you're not in the UK, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find it on YouTube. I would recommend you watch it because this documentary was very, very interesting. And I can see why Buckingham Palace, Clarence House and Kensington Palace released a joint statement. Yeah. And do you know what's very interesting, lovely listener, is Rachel and I haven't actually talked about this usually we have a little bit like oh what did you think what did you think and I don't know anything about what Rachel thinks about this so this is going to be quite interesting so this documentary was hosted by Amal Rajan who is a BBC media editor and the first episode focuses on what they're calling the new generation so William and Harry Catherine and then later obviously Meghan when she joined the royal family and it's basically saying you know there's this game that is played between the media and the royals the deal is in return of steady access to them and the steady supply of pictures and engagements the royals get favorable coverage from the press okay so let's start with what do you think the BBC's intention was for this documentary why do you think they made it in the first place Rach? I personally think it's this whole thing with Meghan and Harry suing the Press Association. So it's not just Meghan's ongoing court case. 
But Harry is still suing certain newspapers over phone hacking scandal that happened years ago, which I wasn't aware of. Obviously, I knew there was the phone hacking scandal, but I didn't know that he was still actively pursuing this. So for people who don't know what the phone hacking scandal is, from the news of the world, which is now a a paper that's been disbanded, is no longer a paper in the UK, and they were tapping into people's phone calls, um, what what else were they doing? They were doing real shady things, wasn't they? Yeah, like listening to listening to voicemails. Yeah, and we learned, which is something that I didn't know during this documentary, that they would hire private investigators to go really deeply into anyone that was connected to the royals. So, for instance, Prince Harry's girlfriend at the time, Chelsea Davy. They were looking at medical records, any ex-boyfriends. It was disgusting. Even if she'd had an abortion. Oh, it was absolutely disgusting. Now, I've heard of the press rooting through your rubbish bins to find out information. Mm -hmm. And I guess in a way, I don't know why I didn't put two and two together and think, well, if they're that low to look at somebody's rubbish, they would be that low to pay someone to dig dirt, basically, so they can make money from it. When this documentary started, they were really looking at 2016 and onwards. And they were basically saying at the beginning that there was kind of a resentment from the press towards Kate because she wasn't giving photographers the best shot. She was hiding her face with her hair and she wasn't putting herself out there. William, who was working as an air ambulance pilot at the time, newspapers described him as work shy and lazy. Mm. And it was really about how narratives emerged and transitioned because at this point, Harry was extremely popular and his ranking for the first time ever actually went above Williams, which was I found very interesting. Yeah. Um, but to, going back to the phone hacking, what I found disgusting, obviously you were saying about Chelsea Davy, was Catherine's phone was hacked 155 times. I think that was over the space of three days, wasn't it? Yeah, so she was hacked on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Boxing Day. So they were listening into voicemails, listening to calls. William's phone was hacked 35 times and Harry's was hacked nine times. Mm. And you can understand, I think, from this and going back even from when their mother was alive, why William and Harry, but I feel more... Harry because he has more of a resentment towards the press and why that feeling is because there was the private investigator and he actually said that he was a part of a group of people who robbed Harry of his teenage years and I just thought this was you know we've said a lot about Harry over the past well ever since we started this podcast haven't we yeah but you can see why he is the way he is towards the press and especially the British press. See, when I was watching the documentary, first off, I was like, whoa, this is super interesting because the narrative in which the documentary, I believe, is can like how they've put it together is to actually explain why Harry is suing the, the press. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. They've got a problem with the press. Let me tell you why they've got a problem with the press. And then it goes deeply into the level of intrusion. And then not only the level of intrusion, but, you know, the scandal and, and the way in which they would shape the narrative in the papers. So... Let's move then, because obviously the first episode is defining the groundwork of the relationship between the press and the royals. And the main thing is, it's symbiotic. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But what happens is, as you go along, is all the royal family are scratching each other's backs. You know, the the press are giving them good good press, but they're, they're actually saying no. Kate's not playing ball, so we'll write some horrible things about her. And then she will play ball. And then Harry's not doing this. So do you see what I mean? So if it, it just mm. it just feels a very spider web that you can't get out of once you're in it. Yeah, and I think one of the journalists said they have accepted it might not be in their best interest to antagonise the British press. Meaning if they go against the press, they're going to get bad coverage aren't they and that's obviously not what they want exactly and what is feeding the royal machine it's good press it's getting the name out because if they if they're not favorably seen by you know the people then how can they number one keep their power but number two also help their charities 
and their foundations. Yeah. So in a way, they're between a rock and a hard place. I think I think I said to you when I first watched the first episode, this shouldn't have been called the princes and the press. This is this should have been called Prince Harry versus the press. Yeah. Because it was mainly to do with Harry, wasn't it? And um, we talked about Chelsea Davy, and there was an interview that Harry gave to Roya Nicker, who is the royal editor of the Sunday Times. And in 2016, she said Harry was open and honest in a conversation in an interview that she had with him. And he said about this massive paranoia that sits inside me. And he was talking about the scrutiny any girl he speaks to in public must endure. If or when I do find a girlfriend, I will do my utmost to ensure that me and her can get to the point where we're actually comfortable with each other before the massive invasion that is inevitably going to happen into her privacy. And that's exactly what happened with Chelsea Davy and Cresta mm. Bonus. They actually showed clips of both those ladies getting chased by the paparazzi, by photographers. Yeah. And maybe one of the reasons why these relationships didn't last is because they didn't want that type of life for themselves. They couldn't hack that side of being married to a royal but it is unfair though isn't it it's not that they play fair they don't play fair because to play fair means they don't get a private detective to look into your medical history and all the other bits that's you know they they've got you they've got you hook line and sinker yeah even before you've admitted you're you're with the prince if that makes sense yeah and also, I was thinking, and probably like a question to you and to me and anyone that's listening, do I want to know? Do I need to know if Chelsea Davies had an abortion? Do I need to know what medication she's on? Do I need to know her family history, her education? Exactly, Rach. No one needs those th- those things. They should be private and you should be able to have a private life regardless of who you are. And I think you know, we're in this day and age where technology, social media is such, you know, a massive commodity. When you go back to the 50s and before that, yes, you had journalists writing about the royals, but not to the extent that we get now. We don't know the ins and outs of the lives that we do now. It's added an extra layer, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I also think about us and keeping up with the Windsors And our main aim wasn't to become the press and to promote, um, what's the word, to like just take gossip and just talk about gossip. Yeah. And we've tried as much as we can to steer away from that and to keep to the facts. And it's interesting because I think we had a comment last week or the week before saying, oh, you're just part of the press. And I was thinking, but are we part of the press? Because actually, it feels like we're running a little fan club. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like a, but that's that's what we want. We want to be part of the solution of moving forward in a more positive way. Yes, we have negativity at certain times because we're human beings and we're going to have those different ap- approaches because we're not saccharine. We're not everything the royals do is going to be good. We're going to talk about the bad stuff as well, but we're also going to do it from a more factual place rather than just talk about idle gossip just because it's going to get us listens or views or whatever. And and don't get me wrong, Michelle, like you said, we're human. We hear the gossip and we talk about it, don't we? Like we're not pretending that we don't talk about it. We just choose not to speak about it on this podcast because we'd rather talk about the facts that we know. Because if we speak about something that is gossip and it's not true, then we're just becoming part of this machine, which we don't want to be. And it's something that we said right at the start. We do not want to be part of that machine. We're going to try our best. And sometimes we do get sucked into it, but we try our best to keep at the core that's, of who we are rather than just believing everything we we read also watching this documentary has actually brought another side to Harry and Meghan that I never thought I would actually think mm. because when when I was watching Oprah all of it was just them telling their side of the story and it was shocking and I was like oh my goodness I can't believe this is happening to them but now I think watching this documentary it adds an extra layer and it makes me think to myself, good, I'm glad, sock it to them, you know, mm. sue as many people as you can yeah. because they did not play fair. And Harry was like, do you know what? Unfortunately, my father has to toe the line because he's the future king. My brother definitely has to toe the line because he's in line again. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do it and I won't do it. And 
actually it takes guts to do that so in 2016 news broke that Meghan and Harry were dating and the son contacted a private investigator named Dan O'Hank and this investigator was saying that the son wanted full backgrounds on Meghan Samantha Markle who's Meghan's half-sister her mum and her dad and two ex-boyfriends and he was able to get information including social security numbers history on where they lived um medical history it's just crazy and to this day the son claims it didn't ask for Megan's social security number and none of the information was used for any unlawful practice the private investigator was saying this is illegal Mm. because they're the press and uh, in a way there's like a little loophole yeah and they just they just do it anyway yeah and I'm just like this is just absolutely no no logical rational person would do this and it's such like it's so far out of the realms of wrong to me I wanted to talk about one of the journalists Michelle and I think we've got the same opinion on this person oh please yeah actually actually remember I said we haven't spoken this is the only point we've actually spoken about is this journalist so Rachel Johnson who is the sister of our prime minister Boris Johnson she was a reporter for the Mail on Sunday and she wrote an article when Harry and Meghan were dating. And this is a direct quote from that article. If there is an issue with her alleged union with Prince Harry, the Windsors will thicken their watery thin blue blood and Spencer pale skin and ginger hair with some rich and exotic DNA. Wow. I don't read the Mail on Sunday, so I don't think I've ever seen this article. I No, I don't, re- I don't read tabloids. And she was like trying to defend herself, wasn't she? Because she was like, oh, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that now. I wouldn't go anywhere near that now. And he was like, well, why, why wouldn't you do that? You know, and she was like, oh, well, you know, because it's a different place. The world's in a different place. And, and I think she also said, Rach, I would get cancelled is what she said. Yeah, I would... I would get cancelled and she said I wouldn't write that now because I've been educated mm. so it was all right and then the guy actually made a point of saying but that was only four years ago yeah four years ago is nothing is it no and I think a lot of people think well who are the press but actually the people who are writing the stories that people say are racist or biased towards Harry and Meghan versus William and Kate they were right there they are the people who are getting paid to put those in the papers. And I don't know, it just made me a little bit like... Uneasy. I did feel uneasy, yeah. 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 I think, do you know why it made me feel uneasy? It's not only people benefiting from this with profits and getting paid through wages, but also there was no consequences to their actions, even though those actions were wrong. Yeah. And actually, it... It, and this is the whole premise of the documentary. It shapes and determines how you view that person. Yeah. That's the premise of it. And I even put my hands up and say, there's some things I've said about Megan on this podcast that have been determined and um, what's the word molded by some of these. I don't want to say what they've said, but like an overall general R of what I think she's like. I've never met her before. So we can uh, we can only know Megan as much as the social avatar of who she is. And that is being shaped by the people not only writing these things, but also the people who we, uh, um, you know, surround ourselves with. They've said a lot about negative bias, but then also there's positive bias as well. So, <laughs> you know, a lot, lot of people talk about negative bias, but they never talk about positive bias. So I think sometimes you have to think of both ways. Like, for instance, you may say to someone, oh, well, you know, mm. you're you're a hater, but maybe you've got a positive bias for the person who you think that person's hating on. So you have to think of it both ways. Yeah, that's very true. And obviously, we're looking at this from all different angles. And whenever they were interviewing a journalist, they were they all came, you know, they weren't in the same room with each other. They were all interviewed at different times. And they all said, basically, all the different households are in competition with each other. So you've got Buckingham Palace. Clarence House and Kensington yeah. Palace and that they don't always operate in perfect harmony and also they were saying that stuff like you know you hear palace sources yeah oh that one that she was like Cam- that Camilla oh I'm Camilla never gonna Turner. give my palace source away I'm never, gonna I'm be- never giving my source away you wouldn't do that would you no and I was thinking well 
it could be any Tom, Dick or Harry on the street. Who, who, who even knows whether this palace source exists? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I'm not going to call her a liar. That she, you know, whatever. But, you know, can, do you see what I mean? It, it's at this point where I'm never going to reveal my sources. Well, how do we know they exist then? Yeah. Maybe you're just making, making it, it up, up and just yeah. saying palace source. Rach, if I see anything, I mean anything that says a source said, a palace source said, a source said, in any article, I just literally erase that information from my head. Yeah, because one one of them was like, it could have been someone that worked within the palace. What? So you're <laughs> telling me that source could have worked there 10 years ago. 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, that source is relevant now. Exactly. You know? I, well, well, yeah, and I think this is the thing. We've got very prominent royal reporters on the documentary talking about how they have covered royal news and also kind of like justifying what they've done, even though they know mm. it's wrong now. Yeah, it just it felt so uneasy. So they were talking about, you know, after Harry and Meghan's engagement, they were saying that um, one of the mistakes Meghan made was not engaging with the media. So there was one one reporter and he said that he shook her hand at a um, walkabout that Harry and Meghan did shortly after they got engaged. And he was like, and that was it. So I was like, right. So what you wrote something bad about her because she didn't like give you an interview. Like, Honestly, Rach, it was it's like playground antics. Yeah. It's ridiculous. What is she supposed to do? She's supposed to get talk to everyone else. Never mind you. Stop being so self-obsessed. Yeah. So at this time. Harry and Meghan's popularity was rising. Yeah. But the narrative for William was that he was still being, you know, referred to as work shy. He at this point he wasn't doing many engagements. No, because he was having he was working a proper job, you know. And not just that, let, he's going to be the future king of our country. Let him have a life with his kids. The Queen never had that. Yeah. Let him have a life with his kids. I didn't need him to be doing engagements. Let you know that that's what prince charles was doing if prince harry wants to be part of that then fine do you know the presenter amala jean do you know when he was talking he would talk to us on the side so like he was (laughs) he was sitting on the chair but like he'd turn to face the camera to talk to us and i'm like um (laughs) this feels a bit awkward and then they went on to talk about the wedding and because obviously in the run-up to the wedding there was a whole thing of Megan's dad Thomas Markle and yeah. he he was approached by a paparazzi and he was actually working with a paparazzi to produce these pictures that we saw of him for the wedding and they actually the reporters made a point of saying it made the palace uneasy because the palace is so used to controlling the story and controlling the flow of information yeah but that was a story because it wasn't coming from them that yeah. they could control yeah, exactly. And then within days of the wedding, there were stories about how Meghan behaved towards staff. Yeah. But during this time, none of these stories appeared in the media until six months after the wedding. So a lot of the reporters were saying, you know, you hear this chitter chatter between people that work within the palaces saying these things about Meghan, but they didn't report on it because it was like, well, she said this, he said that but they've got nothing really to go on. And then it was Dan Wooten who was working for The Sun and for The Daily Mail who broke the story. And he was like, you know, I've got this story. I've, I've got so many people telling me the same narrative. I'm going to run with it. And this is when really everything, this is when the tide started to turn and the media started to really work against Harry and Meghan. Yeah. And then because of that, then Harry and Meghan were like, actually, no, you're not going to see our baby on the first day. And no, you're not going mm-hmm. to. Uh, we're going to put something up on social media for our fans rather than for the press. Yeah. But actually, I like the way that Harry and Meghan did um, when they announced Archie's birth. I really like that because I disagree with having a woman just given birth, put makeup on and feel like they have to present Mm. you know their child to the world it just it's not right for to me at all I don't need to see the baby on on the day but the press didn't like that the media didn't like that because again it's not playing by the rules it was coming from Meghan and Harry's camp it was coming from themselves it was something that they could control and the media had no part in that exactly and so that wasn't going to be selling newspapers mm. because the story was already out there and they hadn't broken the story fast. Yeah. And I tell you what, not, not that it's 
I don't want to, you know, I, I don't dislike Harry and Meghan. I've never disliked Harry and Meghan, but there's certain things like, for instance, our did Harry, did Meghan lie? I started thinking, hang on a second. Did she lie? Like that, the intentions there didn't feel right. Mm. But now I'm, I still haven't changed my opinion on that, by the way. But I, I do feel a lot more empathy towards them both by not because I understand what they went through, not to the extent that I found out in this documentary, yeah. but it was like, OK, they're out. They, they've made their decision. It's been a very courageous thing to do. But also you can't get away from the press. There's American press, there's worldwide press everywhere. You know, you're not going to just shut up the press. Mm. They're just going to hound you even more. According to a Guardian analysis, between May 2018 to January 2020, coverage of Meghan was twice as likely to be negative mm. than positive. And now you're thinking when you watch the documentary, you're like, oh, well, you know why, don't you? She wasn't playing ball. Yeah. But a lot of this, again, we've said it before, it's kind of like, are you team Cambridge or team Sussex? And there was actually a Tatler article yeah. and one of the journalists called Kate perilously thin Hmm. and a lot of the media picked up on that because it was like she was attacking Kate you know Kate and Catherine and William do not always get good press no absolutely not. they don't you know I think people feel like especially if you're not in the UK it's always oh the narrative towards Harry and Meghan is always negative and always the bias and the popularity is always between Catherine and William but that's not the case they do get bad press but it's just obviously not on the front page of what it would be if it was Harry and Meghan. And that is, and that's the thing as well, that the journalist Rachel Johnson actually made a point of saying when she wrote positive pieces about about Meghan, the story wasn't, it wouldn't sell. Yeah. Yet she put something negative in on the front page or in an article and it would sell twice as much as what a positive story would. And remember, they're there to make money. They're not there to make friends. They're there to find the gossip and run with it. Well, what I took away from this documentary, and I don't know if you feel the same, and, you know, we've got a podcast and we've got a YouTube and we've always, you know, since we've known each other, we've spoken about the Royals, haven't we? Yeah. But I actually feel quite sorry for them. Oh, Royals in general? Yeah, because all they've they've done is been born into a family that is the Royal family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they haven't, earned that place they haven't worked for that place apart from obviously like you know I'm talking about like if you're born into the royal family I think one of the questions we've asked ourselves before and royal community you've asked when we've done Instagram lives would you like to be part of the royal family you know what would it be like if you married a prince and it's just it's so hard isn't it it's just so hard to be scrutinized and spoken about every single day every single day there's something about them even if they're not on social media people are still talking about them every day we we do it we're part of that we do that and I think this is what I'm saying we we like I said I think somebody put a comment like oh you're part of the press I'm like no we're not part of the press we're part of the conversation yeah but we're not part of the press the press is a very different thing. We don't, we're not briefed by anyone in, in the royal family. We're not briefed by any of the, the royal houses. They are, you know, and we're just, we're just commentating, I guess, on what mm. we see. Yeah. We're just royal, we're just royal fans who have, we're just like you, you, anyone else out there who loves the royals. It's just, we talk about it on a podcast. And I just, I just find that really uneasy. Like we, we try and separate ourselves, but by doing that we're still part of it mm. and it does make me feel a little bit guilty in that in that regard but i tell you the, the, we need to have this this question before we just to wrap up rach the question is why did the royal family find this documentary so abhorrent like what what was the controversy i i think personally it's because like at the beginning of of the documentary they said you know there's this there's this push and pull between the royals and the media. Like you said, you give me a story, I'll give you favourable coverage. These royal reporters, I think, in a way, have shot themselves in the foot because yeah. they've, still got, they've still got to work with these people. You know, they go on royal tours. They, they're on the same plane as the people. They were saying when they went to Pakistan, William actually went back and spoke to the journalists and he thanked them yeah. for coming because he wants to be on the right side of the press because that's where his future lies. And there was little clips here and there. And he said, you know, 
when someone said about him being work shy and he was like well no matter what I do in my life I'm always going to be spoken about and, and criticized or praised yeah regardless it's going yeah. to be one or the other you know at, at the minute obviously William and Catherine they're on the the trajectory of the high yeah who knows what could happen in 10 20 years time yeah it could all change you know something might happen we might fall out of love out of love with them we we just don't know do we exactly they're human beings at the end of the day but they just have a royal title doesn't mean they don't have hardships in their lives doesn't mean they're better than us they just live a different life to us and a life obviously that we find interesting because otherwise we wouldn't be speaking about them yeah and other people millions of other people because otherwise they wouldn't be selling newspapers i think they've had a love affair with the bbc the royals they've used them as a nice crutch because the the bbc speak for uh, they try and represent as much of the uk population as possible so they're always fair so for instance if they were to do a documentary they can't do one side without telling the other and i think this is the reason why the royal households put out this joint statement because actually they were not able to be part of this documentary now we did see megan's lawyer be part of this documentary so i think that's why there was this feeling of the duke and duchess of sussex are allowed to have their voice heard but we're not allowed to have our voice heard and that is that's so counterintuitive and also it goes against the values of the BBC plus we've also had the Martin Bashir investigation that literally said that they went against uh, protocols it was unlawful to have that that interview with Princess Diana so as we move forward I think we will see a complete breaking up of the relationship between the royal family and the BBC. Unfortunately, but as we you mentioned last week, Rach, there's going to be the Christmas Carol concert and it's going to be shown on the ITV. I think it was the wrong move of the BBC to not have a spokesman for the royal family there. And they basically just allowed them to have the right of reply and for a quote to come up. So you've got the quote, haven't you, Rach, of what the royal family said? Yeah, so all three houses released a joint statement and it's and it read, a free, responsible and open press is of vital importance to a healthy democracy. However, too often it is overblown and unfounded claims from unnamed sources that are presented as facts and it is disappointing when anyone, including the BBC, gives them credibility. So my last question for you, even though I said it was the last question last time, <laughs> is... Knowing the deception and the the manipulation and the the absolute end of the earth the press will go to to get a story, Me- Megan was in the courts um, saying that she knew that letter. She wrote it thinking that it possibly could get leaked. And then we had the discussion in episode 36, I think it was, did Megan lie about whether that then constitutes copyright Mm -hmm. or not because she was writing it in the receipt of it possibly being read by millions of people now knowing the tactics of the press was it actually quite intelligent for Megan to write it in that way because she knew it it was probably going to get leaked anyway yes and no I think yes it was intelligent of her because it obviously did get leaked. We read that letter. But on the other hand, is the, and this is like an open-ended question, is she herself, and, you know, all, I'm not talking about maybe now not just Meghan, but all of the royals, the, you know, they're feeding into their own press, aren't they? They're feeding into their own story and their own narrative because that is the only way that they can semi-control it. Because you'd never get, unless it's something like when William gave the um, the statement about the Bashir interview investigation, you're never going to get William coming out and saying his true thoughts and feelings on, you know, I didn't like the way Meghan spoke to Catherine or we're we're never going to get that. And I think this is why the Harry and Meghan interview of Oprah upset so many people was because Harry actually took that stand mm. yeah and was like no I'm not putting up with this I'm gonna say my truth no exactly so Rach would you do what William's doing or would you do what Harry's doing if it was obviously if you were put in that position 
Would you fight the system or would you would you play the game? Me personally, I'd play the game for an easier life. And I think that's exactly what William is doing. See, I'm completely different. I'm going to fight the fight always. But to what extent? When when does it end? How much how much money have you got to spend? You know, how how many years is this going on in his life? This has been going on, you know, f- for years for Harry since he since he started dating Chelsea Davy, and it's still carrying on to this day. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So you might as well do something that you believe in rather than something that feels completely counterintuitive to be happy and gracious to the people who are absolutely slagging Mm. you off in the press. But then again, William and Harry are on two different paths in the sense that Harry is not in the role that William will one day be in and he never will be. And I think that's where William knows. Well, he has no choice. Yeah, William has no choice. So what's for an easier life, it's just better to play along. But I can see why Harry is doing what he's doing. But where where does it end, you know? Exactly. Where does it end? What's interesting as well, and we do, again, let's be the BBC about it. We do have to bring up Meghan and Harry's um, perspective. And the lawyer did actually say that they categorically deny any bullying claims and to refute any disingenuous claims towards Meghan and Harry. And also Omid Scobie was on there as well, defending Meghan. And it was very interesting, actually, um, Omid Scobie's part, because we've we've heard about Meghan and Harry's involvement with Finding Freedom. But like you said earlier, if that's the only way you can shape your narrative, then I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know, I guess they were I want to say this. I think every single member of the royal family is between a rock and a hard place. They cannot win regardless of how much they're fighting or how much they're placating with that person or with the press, you know, this big machine, they they cannot win. It's rigged in the press's favour, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, I've just, yeah, I, I agree with you, Rachel. I just feel a bit sorry for yeah. him, to be honest. I mean, it was it was a very interesting documentary and I didn't think I was going to watch it. Yeah. And But you was like, no, you need, you need like, to you watch need it because we need to talk now. about this because it is important to get both sides of the story meaning the royals and the press's side yeah but at the end of the day the press are never going to stop because the royals are still royal and they sell stories and that's what we all feed into Mm. so that's what we think royal community what do you think send us an email keeping up with the windsors pod at gmail.com come on over to Instagram at Keeping Up With The Windsor's Pod. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that by buying us a coffee. Our link is in the show notes and also on our link tree on Instagram. And as we mentioned before, come on over to YouTube because we've got Spencer, the um, our review of Spencer the film. What did we think of Kristen Stewart's accent? Uh? <laughs> <laughs> and also we'll have the Windsor vlog up on Sunday. So thank you so much for being here. It's absolutely amazing to know that you're listening. So we want to just extend our heartfelt thank you for you to listening telling everyone you know about the podcast and being here thank you so much so that's it for this week we'll see you next week on keeping Keep up, up with the Windsors. Windsors.